0: This is Holden Karnofsky doing an amateur read-through of the Digital People FAQ, and that is the second in a three-part audio series on digital people, all released on the same day. So starting with basics, just going to repeat from the main piece the basics of digital people. So to get the idea of digital people, imagine a computer simulation of a specific person in a virtual environment. For example, a simulation of you that reacts to all virtual events, virtual hunger, virtual weather, a virtual computer with an inbox, just as you would. The movie The Matrix gives a decent intuition for the idea with its fully immersive virtual reality. But unlike the heroes of The Matrix, a digital person need not be connected to any physical person. They could exist as pure software. For most of this piece, I assume that digital people are just like today's humans, but digital. Digital copies of today's people created via mind uploading would fit this bill. However, one could also imagine entities unlike us in many ways, but still properly thought of as descendants of humanity. I discuss the nuance below. Like other software, digital people could be copied and run at different speeds. And their virtual environments wouldn't have to obey the rules of the real world. They could work however the environment designers wanted. These properties drive most of the consequences that I talk about in the main piece. And now we get to the questions. So question, I'm finding this hard to imagine, can you use an analogy? There isn't anything today that's much like a digital person, but to start approaching the idea, consider this simulated person. And then there's an image of Jerry Rice from a very old football video game, so he looks very pixelated. This is from Madden NFL 98, and this probably represents the best anyone at that time 1997, could do to simulate the real Jerry Rice in the context of a football game. The idea is that this video game character runs, jumps, makes catches, drops the ball, and responds to tackles as closely as possible to how the real Jerry Rice would in analogous situations. At least, this is what he does when the video game player isn't explicitly controlling him. The simulation is a very crude, simplified football game version of real life. Over the years, video games have advanced, And their simulations of Jerry Rice, as well as the rest of the players, the football field, etc., have become more and more realistic. And then I have pictures of Jerry Rice taken from different video games over time since 1997, and they become more and more realistic over time. The last one is a photo of the real Jerry Rice. Imagine that the video game designers kept making their Jerry Rice simulations more and more realistic, and the game's universe more and more expansive. In fact, football video games have already expanded to simulate off-season trading, signings, and setting ticket prices. And imagine they got to the point where the simulated Jerry Rice would give interviews to virtual reporters, joke around with his virtual children, file his virtual taxes, and do everything else exactly how the real Jerry Rice would. In this case, the simulated Jerry Rice would have a mind that works just like the real Jerry Rice's. It would be a digital person version of Jerry Rice. Now imagine that one could do the same for about everyone, and you're imagining a world of digital people. Next question. Could digital people interact with the real world? For example, could a real world company hire a digital person to work for it? Yes and yes. A digital person could be connected to a robot body. Cameras could feed in light signals to the digital person's mind, and microphones could feed in sound signals. The digital person could send out signals, to move their hand, or something like that, and those would go to the robot. Humans can generally learn to control implants this way, so it seems very likely that digital people could learn to pilot robots. Digital people might inhabit a virtual office with a virtual monitor displaying their web browser, a virtual keyboard they could type on, etc. They could use this setup to send information over the internet, just as biological humans do, and as today's bots do. So they could answer emails, write and send memos, tweet, and do other remote work pretty normally, without needing any real-world body. The virtual office need not be like the real world in all its detail. A pretty simple virtual environment with a basic virtual computer could be enough for a digital person to do most remote work. Digital people could also do phone and video calls with normal biological humans by transmitting a virtual face and voice back to the biological human on the other end. So overall, it seems like you could have the same relationship to a digital person you can have to any person whom you never meet in the flesh. Next question. Could digital people be conscious? Could they deserve human rights? So to elaborate, say there is a detailed digital copy of you sending and receiving signals to and from a virtual body in a virtual world. The digital person sends signals telling the virtual body to put their hand on a virtual stove. As a consequence, the digital person receives signals that correspond to their hand burning The digital person processes these signals and sends further signals to their mouth to cry out, ow, and to their hand to jerk away from the virtual stove. Does this digital person feel pain? Are they really conscious or sentient or alive? Relatedly, should we consider their experience of burning to be an unfortunate event, one we wish that had been prevented so they wouldn't have to go through this? This is a question not about physics or biology, but about philosophy. A full answer is outside the scope of this piece, but I'll give an abbreviated one. I do believe sufficiently detailed and accurate simulations of humans would be conscious, to the same degree and for the same reasons that humans are conscious. It's hard to put a probability on this, it's not even totally clear what the statement means, but I do believe it is the best available conclusion given the state of academic philosophy of mind. I expect this view to be fairly common, though not universal, among philosophers of mind. So my abbreviated explanation for why goes through a couple different thought experiments. Thought experiment one. Imagine one could somehow replace a neuron in my brain with a digital neuron. That would be an electrical device made out of the same sorts of things today's computers are made out of instead of what my neurons are made out of. And that digital neuron recorded input from other neurons, perhaps using a camera, to monitor the various signals they were sending, and then send output to them in exactly the same pattern as the old neuron. So if we did this with a digital neuron just taking the function of a biological neuron, I wouldn't behave differently in any way, and I wouldn't have any way of noticing the difference. Now imagine that one did the same to every other neuron in my brain one by one, such that my brain ultimately contained only digital neurons connected to each other, receiving input signals from my eyes and ears, etc., and sending output signals to my arms and feet, etc. I would still not behave differently in any way or have any way of noticing. As you swapped out all the neurons, I would not notice the vividness of my thoughts dimming. If I did, the noticing would affect me in ways that could ultimately change my behavior. For example, if I noticed, I might remark on the vividness of my thoughts dimming. But we've already specified that nothing about the inputs and outputs of my brain change. So that means nothing about my behavior or what I notice could change. Now imagine that one could remove the set of interconnected digital neurons from my head and feed in similar input signals and output signals directly instead of via eyes and ears. This would be a digital version of me, a simulation of my brain running on a computer. And at no point would I have noticed anything changing no diminished consciousness, no muted feelings, etc. Now for thought experiment two. Imagine that I was talking with a digital copy of myself, an extremely detailed simulation of me that reacted to every situation just as I would. Now imagine that I asked my digital copy, are you conscious? He would insist that he is, just as I would in response to the same question. If I explained and demonstrated his situation, that he's digital, that he's virtual, and asked whether he still thinks he's conscious, he would continue to insist that he is, just as I would if I went through the experience of being shown that I'm being simulated on some computer. That's something my current observations cannot rule out. I doubt there's any argument that could ever convince my digital counterpart that he's not conscious. So if a reasoning process that works just like mine, with access to all the same facts that I have access to, is convinced that digital Holden is conscious, what rational basis could I have for thinking this is wrong? And then some general points. I imagine that whatever else consciousness is, it is the cause of things like, I say that I am conscious. And I imagine it is the source of my observations about my own conscious experience. The fact that my brain is made out of neurons, as opposed to computer chips or something else, isn't something that plays any role in my propensity to say I'm conscious or in the observations I make about my own conscious experience. If my brain were a computer, instead of a set of neurons sending the same output signals, I would express all of the same beliefs and observations about my own conscious experience. The cause of my statements about consciousness and the source of my observations about my own consciousness is not something about the material my brain is made of, Rather, it is something about the patterns of information processing my brain performs. A computer performing the same patterns of information processing would therefore have as much reason to think itself conscious as I do. Finally, my understanding from talking to physicists is that many of them believe there is some important sense in which the universe can only be fundamentally understood as patterns of information processing, and that the distinction between, say, neurons and computer processors seems very unlikely to have anything deep to it. And there's more on that in a footnote if you want to come to the web. And then for longer takes on this topic, I link to section 9 of an essay called The Singularity of Philosophical Analysis by David Chalmers. And similar reasoning appears in part 3 of Chalmers' book, The Conscious Mind. And I link to Zombies Redacted by Eliezer Yudkowsky. This is a more informal, less academic piece that makes arguments somewhat similar to the arguments I've just made. Next question. Let's say you're wrong, and digital people could not be conscious. How would that affect your views about how they could change the world? Alright, say we could make digital duplicates of today's humans, but they were not conscious. In that case, they could still be enormously productive compared to biological humans, and studying them could still shed light on human nature and behavior. So my discussions of productivity and social science would be pretty unchanged. Also, they would still believe themselves to be conscious, since we do, and they'd be simulations of us. They could still seek to expand throughout space and establish stable, locked-in communities to preserve the values they care about. Due to their productivity and huge numbers, I'd expect the population of digital people to determine what the long-run future of the galaxy looks like, including for biological humans. In a sense, the overall stakes would be lower if the massive numbers of digital people throughout the galaxy and the virtual experiences they had didn't matter. But the stakes would still be quite high since how digital people set up the galaxy would determine what life was like for biological humans. So to sum that up, I don't think there would be huge consequences. Even non-conscious digital people would cause most of the effects that I describe in the main piece. Next question. I'm having trouble picturing a world of digital people. How the technology could be introduced, how they would interact with us, etc. Can you lay out a detailed scenario of what the transition from today's world to a world full of digital people might look like? I'll give one example of how things could go. It's skewed somewhat to the optimistic side so it doesn't immediately become dystopia. And it's skewed toward the familiar side in that I don't explore all the potential radical consequences of digital people. I'm sticking with the basics. Nothing else in any of this piece depends on this story being accurate. The only goal is to make it a bit easier to picture this world and think about the motivations of the people in it. So, imagine that one day a working technology becomes available for uploading someone's mind and creating a digital person. For simplicity, let's assume that it is modestly priced from the beginning. In reality, it might start off very expensive and get cheaper over time. This would mean that Many people who want to can have their brains scanned and create a digital copy of themselves. So now a few tens of thousands of people create digital copies of themselves. There are now tens of thousands of digital people living in a simple virtual environment consisting of simple office buildings, apartments, and parks. Initially, each digital person thinks just like some non-digital person that they were copied from, though as time goes on, their life experiences and thinking styles diverge. Each digital person gets to design their own virtual body that represents them in the environment. This is a bit like choosing an avatar. The bodies need to be in a normal range of height, weight, strength, etc., but are pretty customizable. The computer server running all the digital people and the virtual environment they have it is privately owned. However, thanks to prescient regulation, the digital people themselves are considered to be people with full legal rights, not property of their creators, not property of the server company. They make their own choices, subject to the law, and they have some basic initial protections. For example, in order to continue existing, the owner of the server they're on has to choose to run them. However, each digital person initially has a prepaid long-term contract with whatever company is running them at first, so they can be assured of existing for, let's say, 100 years from their biological copy's date of birth if they want to. They must be fully informed of their situation as a digital person, be given other information about what's going on, how to contact key people, etc. Their initial virtual environment has to initially meet certain criteria. No violence or suffering inflicted on them, ample virtual food and water. They have their own bank account, starts with some money in it. The server owner cannot make any significant changes to the virtual environment without their consent, other than ceasing to run it, which can only be done after the contract runs out. The server owner must cease running any digital people who request to stop existing. So with those protections in place, the digital people that start off form professional and personal relationships with each other. They also form professional and personal relationships with normal biological humans, whom they communicate with via email, video chat, etc. For example, they might work for the first company offering digital copies of humans, doing research on how to make future digital people cheaper to run. They might stay in touch with the biological person they were copied from, exchanging emails about their personal lives. They would almost certainly be interested in ensuring that no biological humans interfered with their server in unwelcome ways, such as by shutting it off. Some digital people fall in love and get married. A digital couple is able to have children by creating a new digital person whose mind is a hybrid of their two minds. Initially, subject to child abuse protections, they can decide how their child appears in the virtual environment, and even make some tweaks, such as when the child's brain sends a signal to poop, a rainbow comes out instead. The child gains rights as they age, as biological humans do. Digital people are allowed to copy themselves as long as they are able to meet the requirements for new digital people, such as a guarantee of being able to live for a reasonably long time. Copies have their own rights and don't owe anything to their creators. The population of digital people grows via people copying themselves and having children. Eventually, perhaps quickly, as discussed below, there are far more digital people than biological humans. Still... Some digital people work for, employ, or have personal relationships via email, video chat, etc. with biological humans. Many digital people work on making further population growth possible by making it cheaper to run digital people, by building more computers in the real world, by finding new sources of raw materials and energy for computers also in the real world, etc. And many other digital people work on designing ever more creative virtual environments Some based on real-world locations, some more exotic with altered physics, etc. Some virtual environments are designed to be lived in, while others are designed to be visited for recreation. Access is sold to digital people who want to be transferred to these environments. So digital people are doing work, entertaining themselves, meeting each other, reproducing, etc. In these respects, their lives have a fair amount in common with ours. Like us, they have some incentive to work for money, They need to pay for server costs if they want to keep existing for more than their initial contract, or if they want to copy themselves or have children, because they need to buy long contracts for any new digital people they create. Unlike us, they can do things like copying themselves, running at different speeds, changing their virtual bodies, entering exotic virtual environments like zero gravity, etc. The prescient regulators have carved out ways for large groups of digital people to form their own virtual states and civilizations, which can set and change their own regulations. So that's a fairly familiar, optimistic scenario. Now, there are some dystopian alternatives. A world of digital people could very quickly get dystopian if there were worse regulation or no regulation. For example, imagine if the rule were that whoever owns a server can run whatever they want on it. Then people might make digital copies of themselves that they run experiments on, forced to do work, and even open source, so that anyone running a server can make and abuse copies. I link to a very short story that I recommend, but it's pretty chilling, that gives a flavor of what that might be like. There are also other, more gradual ways for a world of digital people to become dystopian, as outlined in the main piece and in the duplicator, with the idea of people racing to make copies of each other and dominate the population. Throughout this example, I've talked about how the world would be for digital people, not for normal biological humans. I'm more focused on what the world would be like for digital people because I expect that digital people would quickly become most of the population and because I think we should care about them as much as we care about biological humans. But if you're wondering what things would be like for biological humans, I'd expect that, first, digital people, due to their numbers and running speeds, would become the dominant political and military players in the world. They would probably be the people determining what biological humans' lives would be like. And second, there would be very rapid scientific and technological advancement, as discussed below. So assuming digital people and biological humans stayed on good terms, I'd expect biological humans to have access to technology far beyond today's. At a minimum, I expect this would mean pretty much unlimited medical technology, including things like curing aging, having indefinitely long lifespans. Next question. Are digital people possible? Well, they certainly are not possible today we have no idea how to create a piece of software that would respond to, let's say, video and audio data the way a particular human would, in terms of sending the same signals to talk and move, etc., like a human would. We can't simply copy and simulate human brains because relatively little is known about what the human brain does. Neuroscientists have very limited ability to make observations about brains. Although we can do a pretty good job simulating some of the key inputs to the brain, Cameras seem to capture images about as well as human eyes, and microphones seem to capture sound about as well as human ears. Digital people are a hypothetical technology, and we may one day discover that they are impossible. But to my knowledge, there isn't any current reason to believe they're impossible, and I personally would bet that they will eventually be possible, at least via scanning and simulating human brains directly, known as mind uploading. I think to get there, it's a matter of A, neuroscience advancing to the point where we can thoroughly observe and characterize the key details of what human brains are doing. That's potentially a very long road, but not an endless one. B, writing software that simulates those key details of the brain. C, running the software simulation on a computer. And D, providing a good enough virtual body and virtual environment, which could be quite simple. Enabling talking, reading, and typing would go a long way. I'd guess that A is the hard part. That's neuroscience advancing to the point where we can observe and characterize the human brain. I would guess that C, running the software, could be done even on today's computers. I won't elaborate on this more in this piece, but might do so in the future if there's interest. Next question. How soon could digital people be possible? I don't think we have a good way of forecasting when neuroscientists will understand the brain well enough to get started on mind uploading, other than to say that we don't seem anywhere near it today. The reason I think digital people can come in the next few decades is different. I think we could invent something else, mainly advanced artificial intelligence, that dramatically speeds up scientific research. If that happens, we could see all sorts of new world-changing technologies emerge very quickly, including digital people. I also think that thinking about digital people helps form intuitions about just how productive and powerful advanced AI could be, and I'll discuss that in a future piece. Next question. Are digital people different from mind uploads? Mind uploading refers to simulating a human brain on a computer. It's usually implied that this would not literally be just a brain. It would include some sort of virtual environment and body for the person being simulated, or maybe it would be used to pilot a robot. A mind upload would be one form of digital person, and most of this piece could have been written about mind uploads. Mind uploads are the most easy-to-imagine version of digital people, and I focus on them in some of the other sections. But I could also imagine a future of digital people that are not derived from copying human brains, or even all that similar to today's humans. I think it's reasonably likely that by the time digital people are possible, or pretty soon afterward, they will be quite different from today's humans. Most of this piece would apply to roughly any digital entities that A, had moral value in human rights, like non-digital people, B, could interact with their environments with equal or greater skill and ingenuity to today's normal people, with enough understanding of how A and B work, it could be possible to design digital people without imitating human brains. I'm going to refer to digital people a lot throughout the series on The Most Important Century to indicate how radically different the future could be. I don't want to be read as saying that this would necessarily involve copying actual human brains, and that's why I've used the term digital people instead of mind uploads. Next question. Would a digital copy of me be me? Say that someone scanned my brain and created a simulation of it on a computer, a digital copy of me. Would this count as me? Should I hope that this digital person has a good life as much as I hope that for myself? This is another philosophy question. My basic answer is sort of, but it doesn't really matter much. This piece is about how radically digital people could change the world, and that doesn't really depend on whether we identify with our own digital copies. It does depend somewhat on whether digital people should be considered full persons in the sense that we care about them and want them to avoid bad experiences, etc. The section previously on consciousness is more relevant to that. And then I have a link to many other questions that can be asked about digital people from the TV Tropes website. So there's a lot to potentially dig in there. So this is the end of the Digital People FAQ. And then the final part of this three-part audio series is just the rest of the main piece, which is that digital people could be an even bigger deal.